Welcome to the Better Money, Better World Show, a podcast project of Impact Capital Managers, or ICM. ICM is a group of investors who believe that by solving the world's greatest challenges, we will generate market-leading returns for investors while bending the arc of human history towards sustainability and justice. ICM members have backed companies ranging from Tesla to Coursera to Vital Farms. Collectively, ICM's 60 members manage over $12 billion. I'm your host, Daniel Pianco, a co-founder of ICM. My day job is co-founder and managing director of Achieve Partners, a leading investor in education and human capital. Here on Better Money, Better World, we'll explore the stories of our investor members, the companies we're building, and the limited partners allocating money to investors who don't just seek alpha, but also to leverage their capital to build a better world. Episodes will be released each week and feature a new guest telling their own unique investment stories, strategies, and perspectives. And we've got lots of great guests lined up. So if you're excited about what this show might teach you about impact investing and the people behind it, make sure you subscribe to Better Money, Better World, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're feeling generous, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to highlight the work of impact investors and grow the community of impact investing. Now, with that out of the way, let me introduce you to our Better Money, Better World guests. Apollo Global Management named Lisa Hall Impact Chairperson in 2020. Hall has been a leader in impact investing since the 1990s when she joined Calvert Impact Capital Investing for Good. Since then, she has been at the forefront of impact trendsetting from serving as CEO of Calvert to joining the Brennickmeyer family in 2010 to begin the transition of their family office investing towards impact and sustainability. Apollo is bringing an intentional approach to its impact investments through its entire investment process, including partnering with Bridgespan Group to develop and track quantitative and qualitative metrics for impact. As there will never be enough philanthropy dollars to solve major problems and opportunities driven by global crises like climate change, Apollo is looking to invest in large, scaled companies where growing profits is directly tied to it. Lisa, welcome to the Better Money, Better World podcast. Daniel, thank you so much for having me today. I'm very excited to be speaking to uh, the audience uh, and to delve into the history of impact investing as well as the work that I'm doing now at Apollo Global Management, helping to launch our impact strategy. That's great. You you have been doing impact investing since before it was called impact investing. So can you just, at, first of all, set the stage for us, the evolution of impact investing? Absolutely. And, and thank you for that nod, really, to the history of impact investing, uh, which at points in time has been called community investing and really dates back uh, decades ago in the 90s when you know, leading firms like Calvert Mutual Fund and Domini and uh, Trillium were setting a path forward around investing for good. Uh, investing where you can achieve both a social outcome um, and an environmental outcome has really been with us for many, many years. Uh, But when you think about the evolution of this movement and this type of investing, there have been, I think, some key turning points um, that moved this approach 
from a niche type of investing uh, to a much more broadly adopted mainstream type of investing. Um, and that includes the Bellagio Conference in 2007, where Rockefeller Foundation brought together leading organizations to think about what was needed for this type of investing to scale. Um, and you can also point to the G8 Summit um, in 2013 under David Cameron's leadership when he held the presidency for the G8 and made impact investing one of the leading issues and topics of that summit. Um, and then, you know, you, you can also point to um, types of infrastructure that have been put in place like the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which have given impact investors a way to frame uh, the type of impact that they're having and the type of impact investments that they're making. And so, you know, it's really been a confluence of lots of, of different developments over the years um, from leading business schools, offering courses in impact investing and inspiring and motivating new generations to do this work, um, as, as, as well as uh, organizations like B-Lab, which has um, been behind the B Corps movement and really brought to the forefront in corporate America the idea that you can do well uh, and make a profit and also do good uh, through impact investing. So I want to focus on one thing. You were one of the first families to make this transition to impact investing. You were an integral part of the Anthos uh, group in, in Europe. Can you talk about when that happened and what impact you think that transition had on the broader movement? So I was very fortunate to work for the Brennick Meyer family and help launch the global impact investing initiative uh, that has now grown uh, since I left, uh, but started off as a hundred million euro commitment um, to impact investing and really built upon work that the family had done for uh, decades, for more than a hundred years, where they had really been uh, prioritizing how business could be a force for good, how money can be a force for good. And they had been doing that work for decades through their philanthropy. And, and uh, they had also done some work um, through the Good Energies Organization and the Good Energies Foundation. Um, but they hadn't made a commitment until uh, 2010 when they decided to build out an initiative and ultimately hired me to come lead that work. And family offices are really uniquely situated because you know, the, the money is directed and influenced at the end of the day by the family and family members. And so they can make choices that sometimes uh, corporate entities that have shareholders and a myriad of stakeholders can't make, whereas family offices can really uh, make decisions that align with their values. And in this case, they wanted to launch an impact investing effort uh, that would invest in funds, that would also invest directly into social enterprises, and that would make money. Um, and so they were very much focused on achieving market returns, but 
but doing it in a way that they could also achieve positive social and environmental outcomes. Uh, it's funny, you actually are probably playing a similar role near, near now that you're joining Apollo. Could you contrast the, what uh, what role you played with the Brinkmeyer family and, and Apollo and sort of like the stages of development of the industry? No, it is a very interesting comparison. Um, and I think, you know, as someone who's been in impact investing for uh, years that we've talked for a long time about bringing impact to scale, um, and 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 it has taken it has taken time, and I think we are there where we have mainstream investors and family offices dedicating you know really large portions or allocations of uh, their portfolios to impact investing. Um, and I think in terms of the comparison between the work at the Brennickmeyer family and my current work at Apollo Global Management, uh, part of it was simply education um, and is an ongoing effort, right, to educate um, stakeholders around what impact investing is, uh, the importance of intentionality um, and really making a commitment to uh, track and manage and measure over time the impact that an investment is making. Um, and that was kind of a key role or a key part of my role and my work at both uh, Anthos Asset Management and at Apollo Global Management currently is really making sure we're being rigorous about impact management. Uh, because impact management is what distinguishes and differentiates our work uh, in large measure from traditional investing. Um, and I, I love to quote uh, Clara Miller, uh, who has famously said that, you know, all investing is impact investing. It's just a matter of what type of impact you want to have. Um, and I think that the evolution in the broader movement of impact investing, as well as the evolution that I saw at Anthos Asset Management, and I am seeing at Apollo Global Management, is really thinking about the impact that all investments can have. So I, I want to, you, you brought up uh, Clara Miller. Um, I'll bring up Mark Andreessen. He said that impact investing is like a houseboat. It is neither a good house nor a good boat. Now, let's assume you are uh, in front of the annual meeting at Apollo, uh, which is a very traditional asset manager, and Mark Andreessen is there, and he says that. How would you respond to that to encourage uh, the folks at sort of the Apollo Group annual meeting that impact investing really can be a great house and a good vote? No, I, I have heard that quote before, and... Uh, having lived in the Netherlands, where there are more than 10,000 houseboats docked um, in canals and waterways throughout the country, um, I would say that it is possible to have a great house that is also a great boat. Um, and, and many uh, Dutch citizens live in houseboats as their permanent year-round homes and uh, can attest to uh, sometimes both things are true. And I think that that's the case with impact investing, that you can both generate a positive return, a positive market rate return, and also create 
positive social and environmental outcomes. Both things can be true, just like, I, I, I hate to break it smart, but just like it is possible for you to have both a great house and a great boat. Just, just ask the duchy. <laughs> so can you give me an example from your history that sort of epitomizes that? And it can be either at Apollo or, or prior. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'd love to talk about the very first investment that we made at Apollo through our impact strategy, really thinking about intentionality as well as additionality. Um, and that deal is Reno de Medici, uh, which is an Italian-based firm that manufactures, produces, and distributes recycled cardboard. Um, and you know, this deal for us uh, fell under our climate and sustainability thematic. Um, and at Apollo, we believe really strongly in the idea of collinearity, that as you generate positive financial returns, that you can also generate positive social and environmental outcomes. And in this case, we were seeking to achieve positive environmental outcomes. Uh, you know, we always start at the top thinking about the UN SDG alignment. Um, and in this case, the deal, which focuses on sustainable packaging, um, really fits squarely in the climate action uh, sustainable development goal. And by recycling used paper products into carton board for paper packaging, um, RDM is contributing to the circular economy, you know, decreasing waste emissions and raw material use um, and creating packaging that has a greatly increased environmental efficiency compared to uh, virgin fiber packaging. Um, and, you know, this company, uh, which focuses on the market in Italy, Spain, um, and France. So, you know, thinking about Reno de Medici and the impact it can have, we, we set very specific key performance indicators around impact, looking at their carbon emissions intensity, um, as well as thinking about their wastewater discharge um, and thinking about um, how, as a company, they are also meeting ESG goals. Um, and in the case of Reno de Medici, you know, we clearly see that the more they produce, the more uh, carton board they create uh, using recycled products rather than virgin fiber uh, contributes to a reduction in um, carbon emissions. And uh, they also have very intentionally set targets around uh, the proportion of waste that they are creating in their own mills and plants, um, measuring the volume of waste over time uh, and the reduction in that waste. And thinking about collinearity and how financial returns and financial value can align with impact value. In this case, the more carton board they're creating, the more they are contributing to 
reduction in uh, waste and reduction in emissions because they're only using recyclable uh, paper products to create the carton board. Um, so that's one example. I, you know, one of the things I really like about Reno de Medici is that we saw an opportunity there for value creation, uh, which is a, a really important theme for our approach to investing at Apollo. We are value investors. And in this case, we were looking not only for value creation around improving um, earnings over time, but also value creation in improving impact. And by looking at the production of, of recyclable carton board and being able to tie it directly to um, greenhouse gas emissions and reduction in waste discharge, um, we really see where as they increase their sales, increase their production, increase their earnings, they are also increasing the environmental impact that they are having. Now Clearly, Apollo has more than just its impact strategy. Why was this uh, deal not in the broader Apollo fund and, and put in the impact strategy? Yeah, and so that is a great question because we really are leveraging the full Apollo platform as we invest in deals. And in this case, uh, Rina Di Medici was actually sourced out of Italy from one of our Euro European partners. Um, and so we really have a global reach in a way that a smaller or more targeted impact investor would not have. And part of why this landed in the impact strategy is because the owner already had a pre-existing commitment um, and philosophy within the firm around environmental outcomes and environmental impact. Um, and so the owner, and in, in, in the case of the strategy at Apollo, uh, we take controlling stakes in firms. We are a buyout fund focused on mature companies. And in this case, owner had owned the company since the 1970s, was ready to step away, but really felt strongly about having a legacy around environmental impact for this company. and. The impact strategy is a way to preserve that impact for uh, companies that are interested in selling or being bought out, um, where they're interested in not just having a financial return in the transaction, but in preserving impact and creating impact value for the firm. Did having the impact strategy help get that deal? I absolutely think it did. Um, I think the owners were very persuaded by the rigorous due diligence that we did, not just around financial performance, but also around impact performance. Um, and so we're really excited about what we've put in place in terms of drawing from the field and best practices around impact due diligence. Uh, we work closely with Bridgespan, uh, who supports our impact due diligence. And in every deal, we are setting very specific, both quantitative and in some cases qualitative measures around the impact that the company is generating. Um, and I think that was a compelling sell to Reno de Medici when we uh, approached them. So within Apollo, is there a lane uh, for impact investing? 
Yeah, more and more, we're going to see opportunities where we can partner with different strategies across the firm. Um, And the reason why it lands in the impact strategy is because there's a commitment to intentionality, and that intentionality leads to commitment around tracking and measuring, monitoring impact metrics over time, uh, which is something that we might not normally do in the traditional private equity strategy, but we're always upfront, built into the documents, built into the carry calculation will be this commitment to impact management and measurement. Um, And that's a big differentiator. Uh, The other differentiator is making sure that for our deals, that for our portfolio companies and the impact strategy, that there really will be um, a net positive impact. And part of how we know that is because we're measuring it uh, over time. Um, And when we do our due diligence up front, we're looking at the potential net positive impact that a company can have. Um, And we we are always going to be aiming and striving in the impact strategy to have a net positive social or environmental outcome. Uh, So really going above and beyond what we might otherwise do in a traditional strategy. Now, Apollo is a traditional, even the impact strategy is is a traditional private equity uh, structure in that eventually you have to sell things. In the impact strategy, uh, how do you think about exit um, as a fiduciary um, and making sure that the impact remains post-exit? Or do you think that's even possible? No, I think it's not impossible. Um, I think it is challenging because you can't always build into uh, sales agreements or purchase and acquisition agreements um, that the next owner will commit to generating impact. Um, And that's why it's really important in our deals to find opportunities where there is collinearity, where increasing financial performance or growing um, the profits of the company is directly aligned with growing the impact of the company. And because of that, we think at exit that buyers will be compelled, uh, not just by uh, the financial performance, but also by the impact because they're integral to each other, Um, that, that you can't achieve the one without achieving the other and that buyers at exit, uh, at our exit, will see that and want to preserve the impact over time under new ownership. Can you give the, on entry, you know, when you're talking to entrepreneurs or sellers and on exit, the 30 second elevator pitch on why the Apollo impact strategy makes sense? The Apollo impact strategy makes sense uh, because we are providing financing for later stage companies that are committed to impact, that have the potential to generate tremendous impact. And we have at our disposal the entire Apollo Global Management Platform, uh, which provides uh, access to uh, expertise, um, but also to a network of resources that are really unparalleled in the private equity space. 
Um, and so when you're working with Apollo Global Management um, and you have a company that fits with our impact strategy, you are going to benefit not just from our um, impact focus, but also all the resources that we have at our disposal throughout the firm. Now, I want to ask you perhaps a bit of an unfair question, but if you were a young professional, say with like 10 or 15 years of experience, maybe an MBA, uh, maybe having worked either you know, in private equity, and you wanted to make an impact uh, at scale in impact investing, what would your career advice be? So I, I do spend a lot of time talking with young people uh, or people who are early in their impact investing careers. Um, and, and what I say is, you know, find the space where your skill set and your interests match up. And although we are still a niche market, it is growing and expanding every single day. And you can see the light at the end of the tunnel around impact investing really being mainstream. Um, and going across asset classes. So if you have an expertise, for example, in real estate and are interested in having an impact, find an affordable housing fund manager that is generating positive social outcomes through affordable housing. If you have an interest in climate and sustainability, um, Go find a fund manager uh, or um, a network organization that has within their mission a focus on climate action. Um, I, I feel like there are so many opportunities now for young people. And what I really encourage is to think about where you're uniquely suited uh, through your expertise and your interests to have an impact. Uh, through this approach to investing. I, I hope that answered the question fully, but... Uh, I thought you were going to have a piece of advice that applied across every person who was 35. And it, it, was, it, it, was, it was not that, but it was close. No, it, it, it's a tough question to answer because there's so many different ways to go. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I think one of the things that I feel very strongly about that I haven't had a chance to talk about is that if you are looking to do good, to serve the world by doing a, or having a career uh, that's focused on social or environmental outcomes, I think impact investing is the best way to do it because in contrast to philanthropy, and, and there is a, a space and a place for philanthropy. This is not a criticism of philanthropy, but it's another tool in the toolkit for achieving social good. And, you know, in contrast to philanthropy, <clears throat> impact investors, you know, they don't just write a check and walk away. They make a, an outreach that involves a lot of due diligence before they make an investment. And then when an impact investor actually invests. They are monitoring that investment over time. And then they're thinking very carefully about how to exit. And, and that involves a, a very different type of engagement. And it's why impact investing is so meaningful 
for me personally and professionally, because I see it as a way to achieve social good, but to do it at scale, because there are never going to be enough philanthropy dollars to solve all the problems uh, that we are facing in today's world. And so we have to leverage the capital markets. And as a young person, I think looking to where you can have the greatest scale, and scale is not always about size. Sometimes it's the scaling of an idea, right? It's the expansion of an idea like social impact bonds. Um, is a great example of something that didn't exist. It was an idea, and now it's been significantly scaled. And so look for where you can have the greatest impact um, through scale, uh, whether it's with a fund manager, it's with a a provider of services, a network organization, uh, but but look where you can really move the needle, I would say. Now, along with some of the real benefits of scale and private capital and the speed and, and ability to really have an impact as you described. There is sort of a concern from some folks that Apollo, for example, is a large legacy asset manager with lots of uh, history with hydrocarbon investments and um, some criticism over the years about treatment of workers and other ESG issues. Um, how do you address these concerns when they come up? So my, my response when these types of concerns come up is, Everyone has to start somewhere. And at Apollo, our impact strategy, as well as work that we have been doing now for 10 years around ESG with our portfolio companies, is our way of starting down this path and really shifting um, how we think about impact. You know, as I said earlier, uh, all investing is impact investing. Um, it's just a matter of what type of impact do you want to have in the world. And so increasingly at Apollo, we are thinking about that for every single portfolio company, not just those that uh, we hold through our impact strategy, but every single portfolio company, what kind of ESG impact is it having and ultimately, what type of environmental and social outcome uh, will it create in the world? Uh, but we had to start somewhere. So we're starting with this initial impact strategy uh, and really, again, drawing on best practices that we hope can be applied over time, not just in the impact strategy, but across the firm. Now, you did a a seminar with the impact capital managers where you address some of the concerns around like the specific deal. Uh, in this case, I think it was University of Phoenix um, and whether that qualified as an impact investment. Can you describe, I thought that was a great conversation, by the way. Um, you. Can, can you describe how you address the concerns about that transaction and, and, and how that applies more broadly? Well, as it relates to that specific transaction, which was the, the topic of that conversation, you know, Phoenix University or Apollo Education acquired the company when, frankly, it wasn't um, adhering to all the best practices around uh, education uh, at the university level. And under our ownership, we really have transformed uh, both the work at Apollo Education and also the outcomes 
Um, and so, for example, you know, student retention was really suffering at the time of our acquisition. Um, we've improved uh, not just student retention, uh, but also uh, when we look at the marketing and making sure it's clear and transparent um, in our marketing to potential students. Um, so there have been a number of measures that were uh, that were taken to really improve the impact that Phoenix University was having. Um, you know, I will I will say just to be clear that that is not a deal that we're doing in our impact strategy. It was a representative um, transaction that we talked about uh, with stakeholders to to demonstrate that Apollo has been making investments in deals um, in companies that are creating impact and how we've actually helped to turn around uh, some of that impact in examples like um, Apollo Education. That's a really great answer. Um, one of the things that's, that's been interesting listening to you talk about the impact strategy is that it's almost like could the impact strategy ever be bigger than the traditional strategies at Apollo? Well, I can speak for myself and say, I sure hope so. You know, that, that's the vision uh, is that we grow this strategy um, where we are applying this type of intentionality um, across deals that the, in aggregate, you know, eclipse what we're doing in the traditional strategy. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that we're doing at Apollo is demonstrating that you can have strong financial returns at the same time that you have strong impact returns. And I think, um, you know, that has been one of the hurdles and part of the evolution of impact investing in the early days. I think people really thought about impact investing as a below market return. Um, and, you know, I like to say no one would ever uh, question if Apollo plans to uh, create strong returns in any of its strategies. And it certainly is the case for our impact strategy that, that we're planning to achieve high financial returns. Um, and, and I think that that's going to be important to attracting more investors and growing this field. Um, over time is that we can uh, demonstrate that you can do both at the same time. One of the things uh, that's part of all of your answers is sort of this evolution and growth of impact investing. And inherent, I want to give you a chance to talk about something, a word you've used a lot, which is intentionality. Um, what do you think, you know, early in your career, you didn't talk like intentionality. Now you're, now you're into it. What is more important, intentionality or the end outcome? So that's a very hard question to answer. What's more important, the intentionality or the outcome? Because I, I think you can't have strong outcomes um, without really being intentional about it. If you're not intentional, there's always going to be the risk of abandoning uh, the mission or impact goals and objectives uh, because it's not inherent to the business model and you haven't made a commitment around being intentional in creating impact. And it is true that in the early days, I kind of questioned whether intentionality was necessary. You know, there were many of us who said, 
if a company is creating good, right? If they're creating positive social and environmental outcomes, why do we care if they if they did it intentionally or it was accidental? And the problem with accidental impact is that if you get lazy over time, there there's no um, incentive to create the the impact. Um, and and I think that that's what's happened in mainstream investing. Uh, there haven't been the proper either financial incentives or psychic rewards that people now are creating around impact investing. In our strategy, our carry is tied to the impact objectives that we're setting up front, which is about is about as intentional as you can get. Um, and I think it will lead to very positive outcomes. And so I think the two are linked. Uh, so I know that I'm not really answering your question, but it's because I think you can't have the highest, best, optimal outcomes without being intentional about it. It's the yin and yang of intentional outcomes of impact investing. If you were to fast forward over the course of the next five years, um, you've said that hopefully the Apollo strategy becomes you know, very significant within Apollo. For the rest of the industry, and I'd like to end with this kind of question, you know, in five years, do you think that the impact strategies followed by Apollo and some of the large firms will be bigger or smaller than the sort of more impact native firms that are that kind of grew up outside of the larger larger capital bases and sort of describe how you think this this industry will evolve over the next five years between those two groups. So I, I think you're asking me a crowding out question. Will the big players crowd out the small players? And I don't think so. I think that um, there is plenty of space under the big tent. I've always been a big tent believer that we should you know, welcome and embrace all impact investors, regardless of size. Um, and that's because we need folks on the cutting edge that, that tend to be smaller, more nimble players. Uh, we also need folks that have different strategies, right? The Apollo strategy is a really specific buyout, late stage, control stake strategy. And that leaves a ton of room for players who are doing venture, who are doing uh, growth strategies just in private equity, not to mention all the many asset classes uh, that you can use this type of uh, investing approach. Um, and so I think it's critical for there to be all players. And in fact, you know, Apollo couldn't be doing the work that it's doing if it weren't for the full breadth of actors in the impact investing field. And that includes players like B-Lab that created the B impact assessment, which we're using for all of our um, portfolio companies to rate them around impact every year on, on an annual basis. We're running our companies through the B impact assessment score. It includes you know, the venture capital firms that are focusing just on diversity, equity, inclusion, and working with diverse-led enterprises and businesses. And so we need everyone under the tent to make it an interesting circus, right? Uh, And to make it a meaningful and productive uh, ecosystem. 
is the more the merrier in my mind. And the, the, the last thing I'll say on this point is that there is not a risk of crowding out because there is this never ending um, set of social and environmental challenges that we're facing that have to be addressed. So I think that you, you could you know, see a shift where all financial capital was going to impact and there would still be more demand for that capital uh, than their supply. I can't think of a a better way to end than comparing the impact investing industry to the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. Uh, Hopefully it will have as big of an impact over the next 160 years as the um, circus did on America. Uh, So Lisa, thank you so much for joining us for the podcast. We really appreciate your insight having um, been doing this for as long as you have and and, uh, as much experience and now from the platform of Apollo, one of the largest asset managers in the world. Thanks so much for having me today. It was a real delight. This is Marika Spence, Executive Director of Impact Capital Managers. Better Money, Better World is made possible in part by ICM, a nonprofit network of over 60 best-in-class fund managers investing for superior returns and meaningful impact across North America and beyond. Our members share a passion for partnering with entrepreneurs and scaling companies that will realize a more resilient, equitable, and sustainable future. If you enjoyed today's conversation, tune in for the next episode of Better Money, Better World. Tell your friends and visit us online at www.impactcapitalmanagers.com.